Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Recover with Carly podcast. I'm here today with my friend Sam Previtt, and I'm so excited to chat with Sam today. We actually met for the first time IRL a couple weeks ago, and it was so fun to be able to... I mean, I think it's always fun to meet your online friends in person and to be able to be like, oh my God, this is what you look like, this is what you sound like, this is, you know, like... Taking what you know from online and into real life is always such a special experience, and we got to enjoy some yummy food and a good conversation, and so I'm really excited to be here with Sam today. Welcome, Sam. Thanks for having me, Carly, and I know you're one of like the few people that I'm like, no, I've actually met you versus you know, some of these virtual connections, so it's great to see you again. I feel like that's like the one of the con well I guess the beauty of online is that you get to connect with so many people but then you don't usually get to meet a lot of them in person because you're all over all over the world and that can be a difficult thing to to do so really excited to have you and really excited to learn from you today I was telling you before we started recording that you're actually our first like intuitive eating Um, guest, which I think is really exciting because this comes up a lot in conversation um, with my community, but also with my clients. So I'm really excited to just have like informational space for people to come and Mm -hmm. learn about intuitive eating in a way that feels maybe not overwhelming, (laughs) hopefully. Awesome. Well, I'm happy to be that that resource and that uh, vessel today. So do you mind just sharing with uh, listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do? Absolutely. So I am a registered dietitian. I'm a certified intuitive eating counselor under Evelyn Triboli, who's one of the co-founders of Intuitive Eating. I'm a certified personal trainer and the founder of Fine Food Freedom. So Fine Food Freedom, although we do have an internet presence on social media, I think that's where most people find us. I always like to remind people that we are a virtual private practice. So we have a team of registered dietitians and certified intuitive eating counselors, and we service people virtually all over the globe. So we have clients in New Zealand, Egypt, Spain, UK, Canada, of course, all over the US as well. And our entire mission is to help people make peace with food and their body and really just trust themselves again and build self-compassion. I was not always a intuitive eating dietitian. I have um, a podcast I can share with you on this where I go deep into detail of my transition from I call it being a diet culture dietitian to now an intuitive eating dietitian. Like most dietitians, I was classically trained in diet culture and a lot of the nutrition education still in schools is rooted in diet culture, you know, calorie restriction, weight management classes, truly like teaching eating disorder behavior. So um, I myself struggled. I think a stat just came out. I saw through WIND, um, Weight Inclusive Nutrition and Dietetics, that 89% of nutrition students um, identify as like orthorexic or have orthorexia-like behaviors. And I was like, oh, no shit, right? Like that's why most of us go into the field. Yeah, they just released new research on that. So um, like most, I went into the field trying to find the magic answer of I'm going to learn how to lose weight and teach other people how to do it and life's going to be great. Um, Fast forward many years and a lot of uh, disordered behaviors and I found out that the magic answer is that 
weight loss is not the answer. And um, just felt really grateful to be invited into the intuitive eating work through some colleagues and took many years of unlearning, a um, lot of tears, a lot of cognitive dissonance and kind of just arrived at this spot. And so now a lot of what I do in the day-to-day is more media. Um, I do a lot of segments nationally, really representing intuitive eating and spreading the message. Um, can find me on TikTok most days and podcasting as well. I'm just so thankful that you found yourself in this space um, because, you know, like for myself, I I feel like for me, I was always looking for that solution that like magic answer of like okay how do Mm -hmm. I live in a small body and you know like feel happy and feel healthy and be inspiring to other people and all of this stuff and I came to the realization that I was doing it all very wrong and very unhealthy and I'm so thankful for that realization and people like you and find food freedom the space that is providing individuals with this education that weight loss is not the solution a lot of times, most of the time, Mm -hmm. and that there are other ways to navigate your relationship with food and your relationship with your body. Um, that also allows you to prioritize your mental, emotional, like well-being, because that's one thing I think a lot of people forget is that health is not just, it's not just physical health. There's all of these other pillars to health that are just as important. And I think having spaces where we can talk about that and learn how to navigate those things in a sustainable, healthy way and unlearning the things that we've been told for most of our life is very therapeutic, but also very hard work. Oh, it's so, it's so hard. (laughs) When did your kind of struggle with your body, body image, food, when did that all start for you? Is that something that you experienced for most of your life or did that happen later for you? Yeah, it's a great question. I, um, you know, it didn't happen until later in life for me. I, on many podcasts and on many platforms I share, you know, I think it's important to share the privileges that I hold. Um, I am a thin, white, able-bodied, cisgender, heterosexual female, and a lot of my life didn't really even notice body image struggles. You know, a lot of my childhood, it was, oh, you're so pretty, oh, you're so petite, oh, you're so tiny, almost, you know, validating that those things were very important. So in that sense, I knew that looks and body shape was definitely something that society deemed important. Um, so it really wasn't until college where I, my body started changing. I started to engage in a lot of disordered behaviors and, um, I just, it it really all unraveled there. And I would say like late high school into college. And that's where once my body started changing, I wasn't used to that. And because so much of my life I was validated or I was complimented for my looks or my body, that wasn't happening anymore. And I felt really uncomfortable. And I think a lot of my worth was questioned because it was like, oh, if you're not skinny and tiny and pretty, then who are you and what are you? Um, I also at, you know, going through college as 
studying nutrition and to become a dietitian, there was this added pressure of nobody's going to want to take advice from you if you don't look a certain way. Right. Um, and so I think I felt this pressure of finding that magic answer, like we talked about. And again, in nutrition courses, that's what was really drilled into us was how do you shrink yourself? How do you track your calories? And so that's where I really, really found myself getting to disordered behaviors. And I remember, I will never forget, like walking across the stage on graduation day at Penn State, getting my diploma and being like, I don't have the magic answer. And I hate what I look like and my body more than anything. Like I remember feeling so uncomfortable in my own skin and feeling like such an imposter and being like, what am I going to do the rest of my life? Like I... I'm supposed to have this answer and supposed to look a certain way and I don't look that way and I don't have the answer, but here I am smiling with this nutrition degree. So again, like now looking back, I can reflect on that. I don't think I even had the words to, to put to that moment, but I just remember a feeling in my body that was so uncomfortable and such like an imposter is really the way I can describe it. So that's where really really shifted for me um and into my dietetic internship you know studying to become a dietitian even uh it wasn't until after my internship where I was a practicing dietitian where I had a colleague I always give credit to her because I'm so grateful for her um Haley Goodrich is one of my good friends she was in my dietetic internship And she started posting about intuitive eating on Instagram before Instagram intuitive eating like hashtags were a thing. And I was like, what is this? I need to know about this. And I remember like calling her and her talking, talking through it with me. And she, she is a eating disorder dietitian. So she has specializations within um, eating disorder. And then once I learned about intuitive eating, I was like, this is the magic answer that I've been searching for my entire life. And the answer is that intentional weight loss is not the cure-all, end-all, fix-all answer that we think it is. And it's so interesting that you went from this space of like truly feeling like you're, you weren't worthy or you weren't good enough as a dietitian as you were receiving your diploma and walking across the stage to then this point of being like, oh there is, there's something else. Like there are, there's this, there's this thing of intuitive eating that sounds amazing and feels like this is the, the answer. Um, so I'm curious, like, was there hesitations for you from going from this kind of traditional, very diet heavy education, um, to then making this transition into the intuitive eating space where there fear hesitation, were you fearful that it was going to hinder you as a dietitian or hinder your work or your career in any way? 150%. Um, I think that, you know, so at the time I was working in private practice and I always say that weight loss is a dietitian's party trick. That's what people think it is, right? Like it's like, oh, I'm a dietitian. And then people be like, oh, how do I lose weight? Right? Like you tell them you're a dietitian. It's like, how do I lose weight? What should I eat? And so to, to be a dietitian and say, I am not going to teach people how to intentionally lose weight. 
that is like so mind blowing when you're going through it, right? Like when it's mm-hmm. a new concept to you. And I, I tried to, um, my, I, I did some, uh, supervision with Fiona Sutherland, who is another amazing intuitive eating dietitian. And she calls it splinter assing, where you have like a splinter in your ass and you have like one foot in diet culture and one foot into in, intuitive eating. And so for a really long time, I had a huge splinter in my ass and I was like, okay, I'm going to help people lose weight, but I'm going to do it in like a morally and ethically sound way. And I'll teach people how to make peace with food. And like, take my words for those of you who are practitioners listening. It does not work. Um, You get really, really burnt out. You feel an immense amount of imposter syndrome. You cause harm. Um, Whether you think you are or not, you're causing harm. And so I tried to do that for a really long time. And it wasn't until fall of 2019. So I went to Fiona and Haley, the two that I've mentioned, um, had an in-person non-diet principles um, seminar. This was pre-COVID. So we like, you know, I was in DC and I met so many amazing dietitians and counselors there. And I was like, okay, I really need to like learn about this. I really need to immerse myself And I remember, I've told this story a few times on different podcasts, but I was, it was the end and I was saying goodbye to them and I was just bawling. Like I was, I, I couldn't even formulate words because I knew that when I went home, my life, like my entire practice was going to have to change. Like I couldn't live this way anymore of like one foot in each. I knew it was so clear to me, but I was so scared. I'm like, am I going to be able to? To, to run a business and make money if I'm not selling weight loss? Like, can this actually be a career for me? Am I going to actually be able to help people? Because if they really want to lose weight, then how am I going to help them? There were all these questions coming up. And I'll never forget, as I'm bawling, like mascara running down my face, like hyperventilating, I see out of the corner of my eye, like Christy Harrison walking up to us. And I had never met her. And I'm obsessed with her. She was like one of those people that really helped push me over the edge with the food psych podcast now called rethinking wellness. And she was like, Hey, don't you do those fuck day culture Friday videos? And I'm like crying. Um, so I'll never forget that. Cause I like met my idol just a mess. Um, but anyways, so to answer your question, yes, it is one of the hardest things that I did in my life. And it's one of the most rewarding things. And I can honestly say to this day, I have zero regrets. Um, and unfortunately, I had to go through that to know what I know today and to be so sure of this message. So what did that transition then look like for you from the space of like having one foot in weight loss, diet culture, and then the other foot in intuitive eating. Was that you coming back from this conference and being like, all right, I got to put both feet into intuitive eating? Yeah, that's exactly really what it looked like was, okay, I came home and I have a team of dietitians and I was like, okay, first matter of business, we're all getting certified in intuitive eating. (laughs) So like chip chop, like, so paid for all those certifications for the team, made sure that if we're going to do this, like we need to be trained professionals. It can't just be telling people not to diet anymore because we see that a lot on social where people think intuitive eating is just not dieting. 
So we came home. We all got trained. Um, we did a lot of unlearning together. I went to therapy, definitely had a therapist supporting me through this transition because, and she was a certified intuitive eating counselor. Um, so she helped me with some of the cognitive dissonance I was having and really making sure that my logic and my belief systems were aligned. Um, it was getting really honest of what do you believe? It was unpacking a lot of fat phobia that my own internalized fat phobia that I had, it was taking anti-racism courses through different professionals. It was hiring independent contractors um, that were non-binary and resided in marginalized bodies to learn from them and their work. So it was unpacking and unlearning a lot and then finding people that we really needed to learn from that we've never heard their voices before because so much of nutrition and dietetics is this white supremacy, elite wellness focused bubble. And so it was really recognizing that breaking out of that. Um, and then from a client perspective, really let, just being really honest with people of like, this is the shift we're going into. Here's why. And I totally understand if you don't want to come with us, but if you do, we're, we're learning a lot along the way and we'd love to share it with you and share what we're learning from the research. And a lot of clients stayed with us. Some did not, of course, and no hate or shade to them because they wanted intentional weight loss and that's what they wanted. And so, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's really, it was messy. It was really messy for a long, long time. So for anyone listening who isn't necessarily familiar with intuitive eating on a deeper level you brought up this idea that a lot of people assume that intuitive eating is this like it's like this anti it's like purely anti-diet um mm -hmm. how would you describe intuitive eating to someone who's coming to you saying like i'm interested in this but i'm not necessarily sure what this looks like Yes, that's a great question. I think a lot of times, like like I just previously said, on social media, people think it's just not dieting, like mm -hmm. period, end of sentence. And don't get me wrong, walking away from dieting is a part of intuitive eating, but intuitive eating is a self-care eating framework. It is not a diet because all diets, no matter what rules they have, no matter, no matter what numerical values they tell you to follow, the intention of dieting is to shrink the body. And so the intention of intuitive eating is it's not intentional weight loss. And so with this self-care eating framework, there are 10 defined principles. There are over 200 studies to date right now. So it is evidence-based. There is an evidence-based assessment scale that we use to track progress as well. We look at not only physical, but also social, psychological, and behavioral implications of dieting. And the entire purpose of intuitive eating is to help people reconnect and trust their body's physical sensations and to feel physically, mentally, and emotionally pleasant. So with the 10 principles, it ranges from, like we said, walking away from dieting, removing the morality with food or making peace with food, honoring our hunger cues, feeling our fullness, um, coping with emotions with kindness, so learning healthy coping behaviors, respecting our body, so looking at a relationship with body, movement, feel the difference, so unpacking our relationship with movement, 
gentle nutrition. So looking at if and when we get to a place of neutrality with food, if we want to increase our nutrient density and learn how food impacts us from a nutrition science standpoint, we can use that as a tool. Um, and then discovering the satisfaction factor. So learning how to find pleasure in food again and really enjoy food. So I think from a social media perspective, people think it's not dieting and eating all the things. And don't get me wrong, it is not dieting and all foods are allowed, but that is like 0.0001% of what intuitive eating is. It is it is so much more to that. It is so nuanced and it looks so different for every every single person. But to make it very simply put for any listener, it's a self-care eating framework that helps you reconnect with your body and feel physically, mentally, and emotionally pleasant. And I think that's like hearing that is so important because I see this a lot with, well, even just social media, but also with clients, this idea or this, um, this thought that intuitive eating equals not caring about your health. And I think this is something we see or hear a lot with people who are speaking out against intuitive eating. They're saying like, no, you can't just eat whatever you want. You can't not focus on calories. You can't not focus on weight. Like all of these things are critical in determining your health. And we know, you and I know, that that could not be further from the truth. Um, But I'm curious, like if you have someone coming to you who kind of has this sort of mindset, what is, what route do you take to explain to them that no, actually this is a, this is a framework that allows you to have more ability and sense of kind of where you are in terms of health. Like what would that conversation look like? So it's interesting, you know, now because we are so open with, what we do, who we serve, what our beliefs are, people are coming to us at an, with an understanding of, I don't want to dieting to diet anymore. Dieting has harmed me. I have no idea who I am or what to do with my life without dieting. And that's why I'm coming to you. Um, but we don't really necessarily have to challenge people with this anymore. It used to be right when we were working out of the splinter assing mode, where we'd have to try to, it almost felt like I was trying to convince people. Now I'm at this place where I share information. People get to make their own, you know, decisions of what they want to believe or or what they want to subscribe to. And they come to us ready to learn. But with that being said, if let's say someone did, maybe not a prospective client, but you know, an engaging conversation where somebody was curious and said, you know, can you tell me how does intuitive eating impact your health? Well, this is a great question, Carly, because I'm coming straight off an NBC news segment where this is what we covered. So, um, we, you know, this is where the determinants of health come into play. And this image out of the world health organization where we know that our health is impacted by so many things, Um, Some of these things being the environment that we grow up in, which we have no control over as, you know, children growing up, our medical care that we receive from practitioners, again, some of which we have no control over, especially depending on insurance and privilege and access to care, looking at our social connectedness, which in that pulls into play discrimination, oppression, socioeconomic status, again, things that we have no control over, genetics and biology, which we have zero control over. So when we're looking at all of these things that impact our health, 
a lot of it is out of our control. So mm-hmm. 36% of our health is our individual behaviors. And this is things like the food that we eat, hydration, the way we move our body, sleep, stress management, um, sexual behavior. Uh, and then again, things like outside of what I counsel with. But of that, only 10% is nutrition and exercise. And so when we look at diet culture that is just screaming these messages of eat less, move more, you know, all these like superfoods and stuff, it's like, there are so many other things we could be talking about that have huge impacts on health. And you're, you're just fine tuning something that is, we're really missing the big picture. So we use the determinants of health and practice that if you know, if we have clients that get to a place where they genuinely want to improve their health, then we can help them with behavior change. But in the intuitive eating paradigm, we have to make peace with food first before we would ever do that. Because I can talk about nutrient density and vitamins and minerals and fiber all day long, but if somebody has guilt and shame associated to food, it doesn't matter what I educate them on from a nutrition science perspective because the guilt and shame is going to have such negative impacts on their health and their behaviors that we have to start there. So Mm -hmm. nutrition science, nutrition education, medical nutrition therapy, all of those things still exist within intuitive eating framework, but we have to have peace with food before we can get into those. Peace with food is a term that we don't hear enough. (laughs) Um, I think that a lot of people have this idea of like, you know, like healing their relationship with food. Okay, what does that look like? What what is that? What does that mean? Um, And I think uh, myself included, I used to think that that just meant like eating whatever I wanted and not caring about Mm -hmm. how I felt. And I think that there can be, like you said, there can be, there, that can exist within intuitive eating and that can be a very important part of creating peace with food is allowing yourself to eat those foods that felt very scary um, mm-hmm. in the past. And so, um, you know, I think that leading with that kind of lens or that idea is so important, but also <laughs> very overwhelming and very mm-hmm. scary because as someone who struggled with my relationship with food, And talking to clients who have shared this as well, this idea of like creating peace with food feels impossible. How? How do we possibly get to a point where we have peace with food or we don't think about food in the ways that we used to? Um, So I'm curious your thoughts on where where you start with that with your clients when you're talking about starting this process of creating peace with food, especially when it feels like they've been doing the opposite for most of their life. It's a wonderful question. And I think sometimes well, it's important to recognize the nuance of every individual is going to do this so differently depending on their experiences with food and, you know, their dieting history and what harmful behaviors they may have engaged in previously. But it's, you know, it's baby steps. So like you said, it can be very overwhelming if you're bringing cake and cookies and chips and pasta and all these things into the house that you were never, air quotes, allowed to have in the house. So it's recognizing 
that it could be one food, right? Like one fear food that we're going to bring into the house. It's also important to validate that the fears that you may be having during that time are so valid because we only know our relationship to those fear foods when restriction is present. So that it's that constant fear of like, Sammy, you don't understand if I bring chips into the house, I'm going to eat all of them and I'm never going to be able to stop because our relationship to chips has always had this looming restriction there. And when restriction is present, binging will always occur. Now that's where the two different types of restriction are important to note because I'll have people come to me and say, Sammy, I I don't restrict food. Like I eat pizza and cake and cookies, but I still feel out of control. And that's where, sure, we may not be physically restricting. So like hand to mouth, chew, swallow, eat. But are we mentally restricting? So are we saying you shouldn't be eating this? You're such a bad person for eating this. You should be eating something healthier. Why are you such a bad person? Like, I can't believe you can't control yourself. That constant chatter, which I call mental restriction, is still restriction and will fuel binging. So it's important to note that we always feel out of control around these foods because restriction is always there. And then those, it, it goes hand in hand, right? It's like um, a bow and arrow of, okay, no carbs, no carbs, no carbs, no carbs. We pull it back and then we snap and we say, fuck it. I'm going to eat all the carbs. I'm going to eat everything in sight. And then that's where the restriction comes in where it's like, I'm such a bad person. I can't believe I'm doing this. Okay, I might as well eat more of them because come tomorrow or come Monday or after the holiday or after the vacation, I'm not allowed to eat them anymore. So it's like, fuck it. I'm just going to eat more. Then we start to feel physically unpleasant and say, uh, oh my God, I'm so disgusting. And it's just this cycle, right? Of like, see, this is why I'm not allowed to have them because I'm not in control of them. And so the beautiful research of food habituation helps us as practitioners come in and say, we know that the more exposure you have to this food, the less scary it becomes. It won't be a fear food anymore. And anybody who has dieted has experienced this with air quote diet foods. So think about the foods that you've been allowed to have on diets. Let's say it's, you know, air quotes, clean eating. It's veggies and lean chicken breast and, you know, whatever. And you look at those foods now and you're like, oh, great. (laughs) You know, like whatever. I don't want, like, I don't want those. And it's like, what do you crave when you're on this clean eating diet? You crave donuts and cake and cookies and chips and all that good stuff. And it's like, yes, because we couldn't have it. So we experience food food habituation with dieting. So the same goes in the opposite where once you start to have all of the things, you start to notice, oh, I actually might want something crunchy and refreshing and maybe an apple or, you know, if if food has no morality, we get to listen to what our body actually wants. But our our decisions around food have been so clouded with guilt and shame and choosing them from such a different intention that it's hard to see that when you're in the dieting. So we know through the research, once we lift the restriction and start to allow food again, it becomes 
just food. And we still want you to enjoy all of the foods, but the more that you expose yourself to them, they become a little less exciting because you can have it on a Monday, a Saturday, a holiday, a vacation day, a work day. doesn't matter what day it is. You're allowed to have whatever that food is. And it's, it's funny as people go through an intuitive eating journey, a lot of times food can become boring. That's something we have to work on. And they're like, wait, now I just like don't give a shit about anything. This sucks. And I'm like, I get it because we used to find so much like lust in food then now it's like, oh, I can have it whenever I want. So then we go through a, a transition of how do we make food fun again and how do we make food flavorful and exciting. And um, so, yeah, it's so much nuance, but luckily we have a lot of research to back us up and know that these fears won't last forever. Yes, definitely. I think that's the biggest thing I hear and I see and I felt, right, was this like fear mm-hmm. of like, oh, I'm going to – well as someone with a history of an eating disorder, this sense of like, I'm going to lose all control. I'm going to lose all Mm -hmm. control over what I eat, how much I eat. If I start eating these foods, like before I knew the actual science behind it, there was this, this idea of like, once I start eating that kind of what you just explained, I'm not going to be able to stop eating it. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat it. And I'm going to lose control. And that is that was a very scary feeling for me of being like, oh, I don't have control over my diet or the food that I'm eating if I give up the restriction um, or if I give up this. But it's like, no, actually, I have more control now because I control the way that I feel about food. Food doesn't control me anymore. There's no guilt Mm -hmm. that's controlling me anymore. There's no shame that's controlling me anymore. It's now really me being able to tune into my body and say, what am I feeling? Like, what is my body kind of wanting right now? What sounds good? And I think that getting to that point is 110% worth the difficulty and the struggle that comes with just like dismantling and unlearning some of those, those old beliefs that we have when it comes to food and our bodies. That it's so well put. And I think really to boil it down, when you look at the intuitive eating process, it's all challenging beliefs. Like we were not born into this world thinking that bread is bad, right? We were not born into this world hating our bodies. These beliefs about food and bodies were taught to us somewhere along the way, whether it was through loved ones, whether it's through social media or just, you know, Seventeen Magazine back in my day as an elder millennial or, you know, whatever these messages were that were drilled into us. It's it's as you come into your adult life, like you're now this grown like adult child, I say, and I look back and it's like, I question everything I believe and everything I was taught. And it's important to recognize that a belief is not a fact. And so once you can recognize, okay, where did I learn this belief? And do I want this to be my belief moving forward? And if the answer is no, you have the power to dismantle that and to rewrite your own narrative of what you want your relationship with food and body to look like. Is it easy? Absolutely fucking not. And if anyone tells you it is easy and like, here's your three steps to food freedom, like, nope, don't trust that. Um, But it is just like my transition from diet culture dietitian to, you know, 
intuitive eating, it was really, really hard, but it was the most rewarding work I've ever done because now I can enjoy what I do for a living and I can work out of a place that aligns with me morally and ethically. And the same goes for intuitive eating, making peace with food in your body. You get to actually enjoy life and be present because you're not so obsessed with how many calories? What do I look like? What do I weigh? Like you can actually be present and give a shit about the things in life that matter to you. Um, because I don't think anybody would logically say, I want to live my life obsessed with food and body. Um, and it, it's just, like I said, it's so hard, but unpacking those belief systems, it's, it's so worth it. 100%. And I think that that's something, yeah, like we talk, I talk about this a lot with clients. This is such a common therapeutic practice is like going back to these core beliefs, right? What are the core mm-hmm. beliefs that we have that are continuing to perpetuate this idea or this relationship that we have with food and with our bodies? And a lot of times these core beliefs stem from things that we've heard our parents say our grandparents say television like media all of these things those are what create these belief systems that we have and i think that first step in changing that is identifying exactly like what you said identifying do i still align with these beliefs as an adult now who has experienced life do i align with these beliefs that i developed throughout childhood A lot of times I feel like when it comes to food, that answer is usually no. It's like, no, I actually, I don't align with this belief anymore, or I don't want to align with this belief anymore. Maybe there's a part of me that does, but I don't want to. So how do I start to recreate this new core belief? And I always tell my clients, I'm like, we're rewiring our brains, right? We're rewiring our brains from one belief system and thought process to this new one. And for people who come to me who are like, this feels impossible. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to get to a place where I can have peace with food. I tell people, and I'm, I'm curious if you kind of say the same thing. It's like, if we could develop these beliefs in the past, if we could get to a place where we so strongly felt a certain way about something, we can do that again. And we can change that belief and create this strong sense of wanting to no longer feel like our weight is our sole identity or that we have to restrict ourselves. It's like if you could do it before, you can do it again. It takes work. It's hard, but it can be done. 100%. And I always use like analogies. I'm a big analogy girl for like teaching. And I think like use any other skill in place of dieting, right? So think of like, okay, if we did karate for 20 years, the amount of time we've spent dieting, counting calories, weighing ourselves, whatever, right? If we spent that time doing karate, would we be really good at karate? Yes, we'd probably be like professional. And so to be a professional dieter or even have a clinically diagnosed eating disorder, those beliefs are so deeply entrenched and we have so much experience in it. We're really good at it. So it's going to take time to just flip a switch. That's like saying, okay, the next day, now we're going to do ballet. And it's like, whoa, 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 no, I just did karate for 20 years. Now you're telling me I have to go be good at ballet. And so it's like, it's just, it doesn't translate just because I think because we all eat food, people think like they should just be able to snap their fingers and get intuitive eating because we know how to chew, swallow, digest, and absorb because our body can do that. 
and it's truly like speaking another language. It it is so difficult, but so worth it. What would be your one piece of advice that you would give someone who is wanting to start intuitive eating or start the process of creating peace with food, healing their relationship with food, giving up restriction, navigating the diet world, where would you recommend starting? Like what would be that first step in that process for people? Such a great question. My, my brain is like spinning with like five different answers. So I'm going to give a a few because everyone's probably learns different. One I think is exactly what we're talking about here because Mm -hmm. I would do anything if I could go back and have someone sit down with me and say, Sammy, what are your core beliefs? What do you believe? I never had anyone do that. I was trying to navigate life, not knowing how important that was. So I think getting professional support, whether that's with, you know, a licensed mental health counselor, whether that's with a certified intuitive eating counselor, you got one of each right here. Um, I also think that educating yourself is so important because knowledge is power. So whether that is reading the intuitive eating book, you can check it out at a library for free. Um, I believe the audio book is also free in, in some apps. We have a free training that is one hour long at Find Food Freedom. Um, if you head over to findfoodfreedomresources.com, you can get that free one hour training and it's called What actually is intuitive eating and how do I get started? So we break down the three biggest myths about intuitive eating. Um, That intuitive eating is anti-health promoting. Intuitive eating is anti-human beings who lose weight. um, And intuitive eating is eating all the things. So those are three huge myths. We break all of those down in a one-hour training and talk about what intuitive eating really is. So I think that can be helpful, just like today's conversation of really understanding it to then make that decision for yourself. Okay, here's my belief system. Here's what I align with. And here's what intuitive eating really is. Is that something that interests me? Because everyone listening to this gets to make that decision for themselves. And I always like to make that really clear that my job is to not convince people to be an intuitive eater. Um, I share this information and if it sounds like something that aligns with you, then wonderful. Come on over. We got lots of stuff for you. Take what serves you and leave the rest. Um, so find out your belief systems, educate yourself, find professional support that you trust. You are not meant to go through this journey alone. You are not meant to do this on your own. Find a community. Um, and there's so many amazing people out there now. There's so many people getting certified. There's so many people doing this work. Breaking that down into like three tangible steps like is so mm-hmm. helpful because I think that's What I hear a lot is, I don't know where to start. People tell me, just start. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we need tangible places to start. And I think going back and starting with those core beliefs, obviously the therapist in me is like, fuck yes, let's do this. Let's, you know, (laughs) love that. I would have died to have you. Yeah. (laughs) Do that hard work and know that it is hard. I think that's something that comes up. I was having a conversation with someone earlier today about this something we see a lot in the eating disorder field is almost like this sense of 
like toxic positivity in this idea of mm. like do it do it let's go it's so great it's so whimsical recovery is beautiful and like all of this stuff and while it is in some capacities it's also very hard and very ugly sometimes and mm-hmm. i think being able to allow yourself to sit in the pain and sit in the ugly and like understand yes. this is part of the journey is so therapeutic because from my own experience when I started having the hard like navigating the hard emotions I thought I was failing I was like oh my god why does this not feel easy anymore I'm failing this isn't working for me I might as well go back to square one or to what felt easy which was dieting and restriction and that was a scary kind of place to be in because I'm like this feels hard my body's rejecting it. My mind's rejecting it. I, I might as well give up and go back. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> don't, don't go back. Stay with us. It's going to be hard, but we're in it together and we're going to get through the hard shit together and it will be worth it in the end. Um, I wish that was something I would have heard sooner in my life. That is such an amazing point. Because I know I, you know, I was so emotionally immature for so long. I just didn't grow up in a home that we learned what emotions were or to feel them. Um, And so I don't know if you follow Brianna Campos, but I highly recommend her account. Um, It's Body Image with Brie. And we had her on our podcast a few times. And she was the first person who really talked about that permission to feel and sitting in the suck and recognizing that unless you are dead, you have to experience hard emotions to be able to experience the joy and the things you want. And I think that same thing rings true for the body image journey of when we're healing our relationship with our body, there's so much grief that comes through that process and I remember, like, exactly like you said, you think you're failing because it's a hard emotion or because there's tears. And it's like, no, 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 this is it. This is the work. This is the journey. But because of the toxic positivity and the messaging growing up and, oh, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, it's fine. Like, like brushing everything under the rug. I thought I always had to be happy and that meant things were good. And so... Yeah, I I would just relate to so much of what you're saying and just giving yourself permission to feel. And I think we're having a lot more of these conversations in 2023, which is wonderful. Um, And yeah, I I couldn't agree more with you. I wish I heard, like I would have killed to have this conversation with you and me. Like if if my younger self could have heard this, I, I always wonder what my life would have looked like. Same. And I always remind people something that I learned like recently in a training is this idea that we actually have like less than 1% control over our emotions. And I think this is something that is so empowering because it, it takes away the guilt or the shame that we feel when we feel certain Mm -hmm. emotions. And I think that the biggest thing is remembering that the control that we do have is in the thoughts and the actions the actions that follow those emotions. And, you know, I think being able to allow yourself empathy and grace and understanding, I'm feeling this pain and there's very little control that I have in feeling this pain, 
but I do have control in the way that I speak to myself and allow myself to ride this wave of pain instead of trying to like hold yourself to this expectation that we have to get rid of the pain or we have to get rid of these negative emotions. It's saying, no, I, I can feel these. I'm allowed to feel these, but this is how I'm choosing to navigate through these emotions and these feelings. Um, that has been life-changing for me because it allows me to say, I'm human and I'm allowed to feel pain and I don't have to get rid of this pain. Like I can, I can keep it and I can feel it. Um, it's just how I choose to the actions and behaviors that I allow myself to move forward with in that space of pain or anger or sadness. Um, and that's been something that's been really helpful for me. And I know like a lot of my clients, it's like, you don't have to change those emotions like you you can feel them like let allow yourself to feel them don't feel like you have to change them right when you feel them or feel like you have to you know override the negatives with positives it's like we're human and we're gonna feel negative feelings and it's important that we allow ourselves to do that that was amazing i don't know if you saw me like rapidly taking notes as you were speaking but i love that so thank you for sharing that with me Of course. Yes. So to kind of wrap things up, I know, um, you know, this has been an episode filled with so much knowledge and information, and I'm so excited to share this with my community and my listeners. And I think that, like you said, I wish this were something that I would have had access to when I was younger, because I know that it would have changed so much for me mentally in terms of allowing myself to think differently than what society was telling me or diet culture was telling me. And um, so I'm hoping that that this does that for someone else um, or just help someone take that step to start the intuitive eating process or start healing their relationship with food because maybe they've just been fearful or afraid of starting that process. Um, so hopefully this allows people to, to, to feel less alone in doing that. Um, but before we wrap up, what is your go-to coping mechanism that comes up for you that you utilize when you're struggling with old thoughts or old beliefs that maybe creep in for you? Because we know that happens. We know that old thoughts and old beliefs try and come in. So what coping mechanism do you utilize for yourself in navigating some of that? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. I think a lot of it kind of relates to what you were just saying of when an old thought, like a diet culture thought comes into play or a, a body image thought comes into play, I, I name it, like I recognize it. I might even write it down if it's really strong. So whether it's putting it out in a journal or in a phone note and seeing it. And I used to feel so much shame if I felt, or excuse me, if, if a thought came up like that. But now it's it's so funny when you write it down or when you put it in your phone. At this point, I look at it and I'm like, huh, where did this come from? Like, I almost laugh. I'm like, why is this thought here? Like, you aren't welcome here. You know, so you're able to catch it now the further you go into this work and recognize how it, that thought doesn't align with you. I don't speak to myself that way. I would never speak to a loved one that way. So why am I saying that to myself? So that's kind of the filter I use is like, would I say this to a loved one? And 
really it's just it's writing it down it's it's building awareness and then just from that i would write a challenging thought to that right so if it's i don't know i'll try to use an example of like this isn't necessarily one i've had lately but it's the first thing that came to my mind of like carbs are bad right or if like i shouldn't be i shouldn't eat this i should eat something healthier you could write that down and be like and then challenge that my body and brain deserve the number one source of energy and a super delicious carbohydrate meal or snack, right? So it's just like, boom, I'm just going to challenge that. We're going to nip it in the bud. We're going to get it out of my head. And just like we were saying, don't judge yourself. Don't shame yourself. If a thought comes into play, pull it out of your head, challenge it, and know that it doesn't mean you're failing. It doesn't mean you're moving backwards. It doesn't mean you're doing intuitive eating wrong. Like you said, we don't have much control over some of the things that come up for us. And so we do get to control how we respond and we do get to, we get to rewrite the narrative how, of how we speak to ourselves. I always say intuitive eating is being your own best friend. And in this kind of responding in this way. Another thing I'll say out loud sometimes, even if my husband says something negative about himself, I'm like, no one speaks to my husband that way. And he like looks at me, he's like, what the fuck are you saying? And I'm like, don't speak to your, you know what I mean? Like no one speaks to you that way. And so even for yourself, if you catch something, it's like, no one speaks to Sammy that way. And it sounds silly to say that out loud, but it makes you recognize I would never speak that way to someone else. What makes it okay to say it to myself? And by doing that repetitively over and over, slowly but surely that narrative and those thoughts start to change. And that is a beautiful space and place to end things. I think that that gives people, again, tangible, tangible. We love tangible things that people can mm-hmm. take away and try and implement. Um, but I love that. I think that's a really great piece of advice for navigating some of those old beliefs or thoughts that try to creep in um, and how we can kind of combat that because it's going to happen. It is going to happen, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about just before this. It's like, that doesn't mean you're failing. Just because those thoughts come up doesn't mean you're not doing intuitive eating right. It doesn't mean you're failing. Um, it means you're human, and you know you deserve the space to, to navigate where that's coming from. Um, but, Sammy, before we wrap things up, do you mind sharing with listeners where they can find you? Yeah, so social media is probably the easiest. So you can find us on Instagram at fine.food.freedom, on TikTok at finefoodfreedom. And I shared this earlier, but if you head on over to finefoodfreedomresources.com, you will find loads of resources there, all different levels of support. But again, that free training of what actually is intuitive eating and how to get started. So if you really enjoyed this conversation and, and want to learn more, that's a great place to start. Awesome. And I'll put everything in the show notes as well. So it's easy for listeners to find. Um, And listeners, if you resonated with today's episode, please feel free to leave a rating or review, send this to a friend, send it to a family member, um, and just spread the word because this conversation is so important. And I, like I said, and like Sammy said, I wish this were something that I would have heard when I was younger. So definitely wanting to get this message out there and, and educate people on what intuitive eating is and what it can bring to your life. So thank you so much, Sammy, for being here. And I'm so thankful for you and all of the work that you're doing. Right back at you, Carly. Thank you. Of course. And we'll see you all in the next episode. Bye.